I met a traveller from an antique land who said two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read. Which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, lone and level sands stretch far away. That's Percy Shelley's Ozymandias. He based the poem on Ramesses II, the greatest of Egypt's new kingdom pharaohs. There are statues of him that are so big that no human vehicles can move them, and they were carved out of rock 3,310 years ago. His mark on civilization is bigger than all of them. We learnt that Shelley poem from a history teacher I had at primary school called Mr. Little, and he got us all really enthusiastic about history. Every lesson was like a dramatic Greek tragedy or a, or a comedy. Every character came to life. It was spectacular. I'm with Anthony Medera, and we're busy talking history, blind history. Who got you interested in history? I've always loved stories. And different types of stories. And, you know, if you read fiction and then you read a lot of nonfiction and history particularly, I mean, it just blows it away. It's incredible what we've done. I mean, what humans have done over the years. It's just phenomenal. And you can learn so much from the past and it guides you to not go somewhere or to go somewhere in the future. So I think that's where I got it. And jokingly, I've always said to people and maybe tried to shock people that I, I was Julius Caesar reincarnated uh-huh. and I you know I've still get a sore back every now and then when they stab me <laughs> in the hearts of March <laughs> I keep a straight face and some people think I've really lost it especially in a board meeting or something <laughs> <laughs> well wherever it comes from history isn't just the stories because we know that these things actually happened that's what I find so fascinating so Ramesses the second the great pharaoh of the new kingdom the most powerful king in ancient Egyptian history, certainly recorded history. Everything we know about him comes from hieroglyphs on stone and from the few paintings and tombs that we can find. His great temples of Karnak and Luxor are still there. The Ramesseum is still around. But even though this guy lived 3,300-odd years ago, there are no written sources aside from those in stone that we can quote. So even though he's as old as that, the most amazing thing about him is that you can actually go and visit him, like the actual guy. It's incredible. Is that yeah. the only one, Gareth? No, there are lots of mummies. But if you compare him to some of the other people we've covered in this series, you can't find their bodies. I mean, even Shaka Zulu, we don't know where he's buried. Mm. But, but we know exactly who Ramesses was, where his body is, what he looked like, what color his hair was, what the shape of his nose was. And he's 3,300 years dead. And is it correct that a farm boy found him because they moved his body? That's fascinating. I didn't actually know that. It's quite possible. I mean, the Valley of the Kings was mostly unexplored until the 1920s. So it's quite possible that some guy leading his goats around. Yeah, because what I basically I heard was that there was looters 
Yeah. Um, but already BCE mm. at the time where they were with grave looters. And then later on, they, they've got priests to look after the, the tombs because they were very worried about it. And in turn, the priests also started looting. Yeah, and what's, what's amazing about the, the mummy of Ramesses II is every time it was moved, they recorded it in the, in the linings around his, his mummy. So in the actual bandages, they would record, mummies moved X date to this place from here because of the Egyptians were methodical mm. record keepers. And this is where it gets interesting because we'll get into the life of Ramesses in a second, but the pharaoh of the Exodus is supposed to have been Ramesses or his father Seti. But the Egyptians, ironically, kept absolutely no record of their Hebrew slaves. So people are, are kind of torn as to whether or not there's an actual recorded history of the Exodus or whether it's just religious mythology because the Egyptians would have made a note of exactly where the mummy moved. You're telling me they wouldn't have written down that thousands of slaves just crossed the sea and escaped? I think they would have made a mention of that Definitely. at some point. So it's interesting. That's where history and mythology overlap slightly. Just talking about it before we actually get to his, to his early life was – the procession when he finally passed away hmm. and taking him down the Nile to, to the Valley of the Kings. And then now, I'm not too sure how many years, going back up the Nile with his mummy, back up the Nile to the Egyptian Museum. Now that's and a, with thousands that's, of people on the banks mourning him when he yeah. 3,300 years ago. And then a thousand, thousands of people on the banks of the Nile now as his body's going back up. Two funerals. Yeah. I don't know how many people in history have had that. But in 1974, um, when they visited his tomb, they noticed the condition of the mummy was deteriorating. And they flew it to Paris for examination. And he was issued an Egyptian passport. Because whether you're alive or dead, if you leave Egypt, you have to get a passport. And it listed his occupation as king, deceased. His mummy was received at the airport in France with full military honors befitting a king. And then it was taken for preservation. It was tested and they, they determined that hair, astonishingly preserved, showed some complementary data about his pigmentation. He was a ginger-haired, light-skinned person. Isn't that interesting? Mm. So we think of pharaohs of ancient Egypt as being these very white um, very dark-haired depictions, but in actual fact, he had red hair, and he came from a family of redheads, which is a rare thing. It's more than just cosmetic significance, though. In ancient Egypt, if you had red hair, you were associated with the deity Set, the slayer of Osiris, and was actually the inspiration for the name of his father, Seti I, which means follower of Set. So they also revealed during this examination that there were battle wounds, old fractures, arthritis, poor circulation, bad teeth, and that he might have died from any of these things. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. And, you know, the battle wounds are uh, – what I found so incredible about this, the, these, these podcasts we're doing is all the people – well, a lot of the people that we, we're talking about, they actually were at the forefront of these battles. Yeah. I mean, Ramesses, he's depicted on the, you know, the walls of Karnak Temple as fighting all on his own. But he actually did fight a whole tribe of Nubians on his own in his chariot with his army still behind him because he rode up ahead of them. So these guys actually did. They weren't just commanders, you know, standing yeah. on the, the, the edge of the battle giving instructions. These guys went to war and he did get injured. And, um, in, in one of the battles, he was rushed back to Egypt for medical attention. These guys sure. really fought. So a couple of things about him. Successes 
in the kingdom, and Egyptians ever since have called him the great ancestor. And that poem Ozymandias comes from his Egyptian name, which is Usser Matre, which means born of Ra. And his cartouche, which is the way that Egyptians used to write a name. It's it's basically the, the hieroglyphs inside a circle with a flat base is on pretty much everything in ancient Egypt because what pharaohs would do is they'd go around and just stamp their cartouche on everything to say, this is me, this is mine, yeah. whether they'd built it or not. A little bit egotistical, yeah. <laughs> just a little. <laughs> yeah. um, he did go on several military expeditions. Um, you mentioned how he fought in battle. So he actually conquered Canaan and conquered modern-day Syria, but it didn't just happen. It took him a long time to fight people called the Hittites who lived in Syria. The one battle that led to the very first peace treaty that, mm. that that's recorded. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, so this is this is this peace treaty um apparently is written in Egyptian and Akkadian. So in the Hittite version it says the Egyptians came to us and asked for peace. In the Egyptian version it says the Hittites came to us and asked for <laughs> peace. But otherwise it's exactly the same. And it was written on a silver tablet. And then Ramesses took it and transcribed it onto the walls of Karnak as well. But there was also a lot of propaganda that I, that I read of how he, you know, on the walls, he promotes definitely how they won that war. Yeah. And it was, uh, in all intents purposes, the greatest chariot fight of all time. Thousands and thousands of chariots and, and basically everybody died. Yeah. You know, there's just a few people that survived <laughs> on both sides. Yeah. Good old ancient battle where the body count was high. Very high, yeah. <laughs> so a couple of other interesting things about him is he married many times his favorite wife and consort called Nefertari. And with her, he produced many sons. They all fought with him in battle. Some of them survived. Some of them didn't. And he died at 90 or 91 years old, which is extraordinary because you think about someone 3,300 years ago living that long, and it seems almost impossible. He also died peacefully, which was near impossible in those yeah. days. So maybe human lifespan hasn't really increased. It's just all about how well you managed to survive battles and depredations and starvation and famine and disease. It's incredible. I mean, 90 years old, it doesn't make sense. Mm -mm. You know? But, I mean, that's what happened. If we look at a lot of the people who talk about 50, 60 is the age. Yeah. So 90s, they really must have thought uh, there's something special about this person. Now, he became prince regent of Egypt at 14. So he had a very busy state life. He didn't exactly have a childhood. Became prince regent and carried on reigning for some 60, 70 years which is extraordinary. And his father, Seti I, was very happy for him to take on responsibilities at a very early age because he seemed to have a natural gift for it. Did you find him interesting? Parts of it. You know, his afterlife I found very interesting. Yeah. I think, as you mentioned, it's very difficult, you know, deep descriptions. If we look at other greats like Alexander and Julius Caesar, they, you know, they loved themselves so much, they wrote so much about themselves. Mm. But this is, there's not a lot of information or very little information that you can find. You know, when I spoke to you a little bit in the beginning, you know, that does build excitement on it. Mm. But out of the ones we've been talking about, not the most <laughs> interesting. So not your favorite Not so my far. favorite. Well, let me try and give you an, an idea of the stretch of time we're talking about here. So Ramesses was probably the biggest builder since the guy who built the pyramids, Cheops or Kefren or whatever the name is. They had various pronunciations, Kafre, and they all refer to one or two rulers in the old kingdom who would have built the pyramids. The pyramids were already 
1,600 years old by Egyptological standards by the time Ramesses was there. That means that if, if you had to look back on our history, the way that Ramesses looked back on the pyramids, it was 1,600 years for him means we would be in 419 A.D., if we just dated ourselves back to the same period of time that he looked on on the pyramids as. And that means that we would have been looking at the period around the sacking of Rome by the Huns during the reign of Valentinian III. I mean, this is ancient, ancient stuff for us. There are no contemporary records of that. It puts it in perspective big time. That's a long stretch of time. So Egypt had already been 1,600-odd years old by the time Ramesses came along. That's extraordinarily long in, in the period of human history. Yeah, I think it's... It's, it's crazy, yeah. right? It's absolutely insane. I can't stretch my mind to accommodate that. Have we got any information on the preceding Ramesses? Well, Deep worth information? Yeah, there, there, are, there are a lot of very well-known pharaohs who are as well doc- documented as he is. But there's a long period of ancient Egyptian history which is completely empty. And those old kingdom... Pharaohs, we know so little about them that they're not even sure that the pyramids are around the time that they're supposed to have been built. Um, some people say that they could be 10,000 years old, which would be even more mind-bending. To go back to him, he built factories for that Hittite war. And by the way, he had an army of about 100,000 men, which was pretty enormous in those days. He had a factory built that made 1,000 weapons a week. 250 chariots every two weeks and a thousand shields in one and a half weeks. So this was some serious manufacturing going on then. You know, with your factories, how much you guys yeah, produce. Exactly. That's not bad. That's ex- excellent. <laughs> so at least, even if you didn't find him as interesting as Alexander, you got to give him credit for being a good manufacturer as someone who's seen this happen on the, on the factory floor on your but own. Maybe we need to create some wars to trust <laughs> the economy. <laughs> he also, combated pirates and managed to fool them. There were a whole lot of pirates who used to raid the ships that left from the Nile Delta to to the Mediterranean, and he managed to defeat them in battle by tricking them. Pirates are obviously not very smart, but he was smarter. Um, and, And he really had this very, very successful reign, and he built tons of monuments and temples and cities, and he founded whole new regions of, of Egypt. He conquered Nubia, conquered Libya. So there was a, a vast empire. So ex- expanded the empire oh, yeah, significantly. By a long way. And his new capital was a place called Pi Ramesses, which is actually where that statue is that uh, Shelley based the Ozymandias poem on. Where is that in modern day Egypt? It's in Cairo, but it's, but it's just to the southeast of Cairo. Okay. And people say that he founded the capital, his new capital there, because he wanted to be closer to his new conquests in the east. But who knows? I mean, so much of this is conjecture. But the Nile is the most productive river. I mean, if you look oh, at ancient times, wow. all the actions around the, that, the eastern Mediterranean, it's just phenomenal. Yeah. And, and to think that that empire lasted for another thousand years after he died, that's, that's got to be the longest lived, you know, sustained period of human culture ancient Egypt and we think of it as being something that's in the very distant past and for a short while it's just epic it's it's the same distance in time as between us and Jesus yeah that's phenomenal so there he is the great emperor Ramesses II from 1303 BC to 1213 BC 
I know it goes backwards. It's very confusing for people. And a lot of children, Gary. Lots of children. So you used the term BCE. What does that mean as opposed to BC, which is before Christ? Uh, before the Common Era. So oh, okay. I think uh, historians are using that, it seems, more and more now. Thanks for listening to this episode of Blind History, brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. This is CliffCentral.com.